we kind of wanted to set up this, uh, this, this message specifically because anger is everywhere around us. And, you, you know, we do. We live in a, in a sea of angry people. And, and they say it takes like 212 degrees Fahrenheit to boil something. And I think we live in our culture at a degrees of about 210. That's just littlest thing can kind of set it off. Or we, we can just look around us and, and just watch sports and you see a mob of players running out of a bench and angry in, in a fight and our kids and everyone's watching just anger you know it's just like you're just at that level where you're going to kind of boil over politicians go at each other and they rip out you know they're after each other or, or business offices we just talked about boil over with anger parents you ever watch parents at a sideline at a at a athletic event you know you ask most coaches of, of teams of little kids and they'll tell you the biggest and the hardest part of coaching is not kids, it's the parents managing them. And, and you see it in everyday explosions where people, um, as you get in your car and someone honks your horn and then they give you some funny hand signal, you're not really sure what they're trying to get at. It was not too long ago, the car industry actually made an angry car. Remember, do you remember this? When, when you would go buy a car and all of a sudden you're, you would, the motion detector would go off and you would hear it go, you are violating my space, move away. I, and, and that didn't last real long, and, you know. But that, that actually, some of you remember going by those cars. There are opportunities, when you think about it, to become frustrated, irritated, agitated, aggravated, exasperated, infuriated, indignant, incensed, enraged, vexed, livid, mad, furious, fuming, raging, riled, and just plain ticked off all the time. Isn't it amazing how many words I could come up and I could come up with more? Because Christy even mentioned that there's gossip, there's backbiting, there's all kinds of things. They're fueled by a culture that's allowed for anger to become an acceptable addiction. And you may even think, is it possible to be addicted by anger? Science and medicine both tell us that anger is the real deal. Rage actually feels exhilarating. It actually gives you a rush and then an immediate sense of relief and makes you feel big and in control when you feel threatened or hurt. And it actually, with your limbic system back here, Mark, I shouldn't be talking about this as a doctor, but you know, I know that, that amygdala, that, that reptilian, that, that, that emotional part of your brain which gets triggered like that, where you can't even think or process in that, you know, that frontal cortex of your brain. It happens like that, and it releases things in your body that cause addiction. In fact, dopamine, which is where we get the word dope, get it? Is released in, in an anatomical sense. It is the chemical that is the stepping stone to addiction. And anger addiction is serious, folks. It can ruin friendships. It can destroy careers. It makes your marriage far less fruitful than, it, than I believe God wants it to be. It can, it, 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 it can actually land you in the penitentiary because your anger has gotten the best of you. And the premise of the series is from Paul's letter to Corinth where they were saying some things and they were saying things, everything is permissible for me but not everything is beneficial, Paul says. Again, the quote that they're saying is everything is permissible for me but then Paul goes on and says, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
And the whole idea of this acceptable addictions is there are things in our life that if we just step back or we even ask someone, they may look at it and go, you know, it appears to me you don't even see it necessarily, but this may be driving you. This may be what you feel somewhat addicted to, whether it was hurry, we talked about that first week, and I can't believe how many people came up to me and said, boy, that one hurt. And then, I, and then we talked, and, and Phil did an incredible job, talked about um, the whole idea of legalism, the idea that we, we will move towards rules over relationship like that. And then we talked about laziness, and it was really amazing. No one said a thing after that message to me. You're all too lazy to talk to me. And then anger. Let's invite God to just speak to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, it is truly my desire to be able to allow you to speak what you want to speak to people's hearts today. It may be just an insight. It may be a a radical choice to invite you into this area of their life or into their life. But God, I ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, will do this. and, And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, almost 20 years ago, I did a series called Good and Angry. And I did this series because I had been reading in the Gospels about, about this whole thing of anger, and I was really trying to understand it myself a little bit better because Christy's right. Anger is not a sin. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's, not, it's something that God gives us. It's an energy, basically. But I was trying to understand it, and yet, yet as I was reading about it, I, I saw how Jesus would on occasion become angry and yet still be good. And I thought to myself, how can I be good and ang- How can you be good and angry? Not that you live in the anger state, but when you experience an emotion, what do you do? How do you, how do you actually manage that kind of energy in a way that it makes a difference? And so as I was sharing this, um, in, in, in this concept, which theologians call righteous anger, I remember what I was thinking about it. Is I, I, initially, I thought, yeah, a lot of my anger is righteous. And as I journaled and as I continued to grow in my life and I wrote these things down and I looked at my anger, I, I became convicted of the fact that most of my anger is self-righteous. It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about when I want to get something and it gets frustrated or blocked, even if someone's driving slower in front of me in the car, I become, what, angry? Why? Because they're in the way of something. And I began to notice that, that when you really look at the life of Jesus, a lot of Jesus' anger was not about protecting his wants, but it was about doing things that would allow for people to be in touch with his father. And, and if, that, if he had to use that to get something out of the way, he would do it constructively. He would do it to protect those who needed to be protected. It wasn't about protecting himself. And so as I'm preaching on this, after one of the messages, a man came up to me. His name was Bill. He's in his 40s, and he shared with me that he could never see anger as being a good thing. He said, I just don't get it. I, I, you know, I, I see where you're trying to bring this from Scripture. And he says, but as he shared with me, it really became apparent. We had a number of conversations over the weeks that this was going on, and, and, and I actually met with him one time to talk about it, and it was real clear that anger in his mind was sinful, and in, it was always uncontrollable. And as he talked about it, he shared some of his earliest experiences, which convinced him that anger was always something that was abusive to others. He had experienced it in his own home with his father, who would at times get out of control with rage. He saw a kind of a slow drip of anger in a passive-aggressive way through his mother. And his fear was this, that someday this anger would explode out of him towards his own kids. And so he had this real cap of control 
And I don't know if you're like Bill, and as I'm speaking about this, you may come from the sense where you go, there is, there's nothing good about anger. In fact, I just experience it as uncontrollable. I'm just going to let you know that in some ways that's true. There is a sense it feels like you can't control it, but that is not what the Word of God has to say. The Word of God is very clear that anger can be managed. Okay? Anger is an energy. I just want you to, that comes through us, that God gives us through His help and power the ability to manage. And um, I'm going to ask you two questions this morning. First, when it comes to anger, what kind of manager are you? Okay? Which is going to have to, you're going to have to ask some questions like, how does anger come out of me? What do I, what, how do others maybe experience it? Are you even aware of it? And then the second question I want you to ask is, would you like to manage your anger more effectively? That's it. So let's break into groups. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, you've probably heard of anger management classes, and they, you know, you, somebody gets sent to an anger management class, and I'll be honest with you, I don't really know how effective and how well they work, but I do know this, the Word of God tells us it can be. If you look at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 8, 9, and 11, we're going to look at Proverbs to begin with, and then we'll look at Psalms at the end of this message. But it says, mockers stir up a city. So they kind of rile it up. There are people, it says, he calls them um, mockers, who rile it up. But a wise man turns away wrath. If a wise man goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs, and there's no peace. I mean, the fool is about venting all this energy in such a way that it's not in any way constructive, it's destructive. But a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person catches, keeps himself under control, manages this. So what kind of manager are you? That's the first thing I want you to think about. What, is the, what kind of manager are you? Proverbs describes three kinds of persons. There's three what I would call managers of this energy called anger. And in, and, and in Proverbs, you go through it, it talks about the fool, it talks about the evil person, and has some different names for that. And, and then talks about the wise person. And, and I, I thought it would be um, helpful to kind of use these kind of words next to it because it will help describe it a bit. It, it's what I call the naive fool. That's, that's one form of management. The other one is, it is what I call the destructively wicked. And then, and then there's this category, what I would call the creatively wise or, the, or what I'd call maybe the constructive wise person. And, and, and Proverbs lays these things out for us. The naive fool, we're told in Proverbs, is the person. Anger manages you, and you become its slave. That's what, the, if I, you want know, a definition of the, the naive fool, the one is that anger manages you, and you become its slave. And I added the word naive because it's, it's not necessarily a consciously driven thing. It is much more reactive. It is the kind of thing that kind of vents and explodes out of you. There's a time, you know, they were saying all the time that, you know, if you really, you know, the way you handle anger, this, this is maybe 20-some years ago or so, you need to just explode, you know, give vent to it. I mean, it's amazing to me the kind of things that people come up with that are just really so opposite of common sense and the Word of God. Now they'll tell you that's not a good thing. It does just the opposite. It continues to fuel anger. But Proverbs 29.11 says this, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person keeps himself under control. It is this sense that the fool does not have a valve to check his anger. 
And there may be a bunch of reasons for it. One is that if you have this idea that anger is sinful, this energy that, that you just need to avoid because all you've ever seen is it's been bad, you maybe never even understand it. And I really struggled, folks, with this message because there's just way too much to kind of boil down into one message, but I'm trying to do my best on this. The fool is out of control and becomes a slave to their anger. It's the kind of thing where you go, whoa, that person's out of control. It's the idea that certain environments can, you think about it this way, certain environments can actually set this thing off. It could be that when you're in your car, do you find yourself sometimes in your car getting more angry than in other places? Or it could be that you find it in the office, which we talked about here, or in athletic contests. When your in-laws come at Christmas, you know. My family has one called Airport Kev. For some reason, when I'm in the airport, I just like, I just want to be first in line. I want to, you know, and it's like, I want to, you know, don't delay the plane, you know. And, and, and so when they kind of look like, you know, you're getting, you're looking like a fool, They'd say, you know, you're looking like airport cow. Now, you can't use that on me, okay? <laughs> I, I can hear all the backroom conversation. No. no. Proverbs 27.4 says it this way. Anger is cruel and fury. It's overwhelming. It takes over. It gains control and makes you its slave. Anger is in charge. And here's what you've got to understand. You choose to become its slave. Now, you go, well, wait a second, it just happens so fast. We'll talk a little bit about it. No, you actually choose to become its slave, and you can unchoose being its slave. The destructively wicked, anger manages you, and you become its ally. Now, that, that, that takes it one step further. Unlike the naive fool, the destructively wicked actually strikes up a friendship with anger and intentionally, willfully seeks to hurt and to harm and destroy. Jesus, when he talked about Satan, who was full of anger and lies, he, he says at one point that he is like the, the thief that comes at night when he was talking about the shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. And he says he's like the thief, and, and here's his intention. He intentionally uses the anger that's within him in order to steal and kill and destroy. Proverbs 21, 7 says it this way, The violence of the wicked will drag them away. You see, anger is managing them, and now they take this very energy, and they themselves become allies and friends with it because it's an incredibly powerful force to get things done. You could use it if you want to, and we all do, often, more often than we realize, to get what we want. I've actually, um, if you've looked and studied um, they will often say a number of CEOs a lot of times run their companies out of an energy of anger. What the fool doesn't do, they react, but what the destructively wise do as they take it a step further is what Proverbs 24, 2 outlines. For their hearts plot violence. Their lips talk about, they scheme, if you want to put it that way, making trouble. So the naive fool may unconsciously, let's say in a business setting, hurt your profits. But what the destructively wicked does with their anger is they not just naively, unconsciously, they willfully, with great intelligence, seek to figure out how they can destroy. And I just want you to think for a second. There are no doubt places in our life where we act like the naive fool. And you may find that even in your marriage. You may find that you're reacting and that reaction is like a bitterness and a poison and it just creates all kinds of 
tension and hurt and harm. And some of you have lived with it maybe for years. And then on the other token, there are those who, as the Word of God says, are destructively wicked. You ever find yourself at night thinking about how you can get back at that person? Ever find yourself thinking about how you can maybe manipulate to get what you want? If you just do this, this, and this, you'll get what you want? Now, I just want you to think about it because what the Word of God tells us is there is a constructively or creatively wise way to use anger. And here's what the proverb says. Anger is managed by you, and you become its master. Now, Proverbs is wisdom, a common sense wisdom, where you are living your life under the direction and care of God. And the wise person is one who fears God more than anything. And because they do, they have this relationship with God. They say, God, I want my life, my decisions, my choices to be such that I begin to allow this energy and understand this energy to be able to use it in a way that's positive. So they're conscious of their anger, or they seek to grow conscious and aware of where that anger is and when it comes up and when they feel threatened. And then when they understand that, they actually become managers that know how to turn it away or know how to creatively use it. So Proverbs 29, 8, 9, 11, which we read before, says the wise men turn away wrath. Or if you go down to verse 11, a fool gives full vent, but the wise person keeps himself under control holds it back. It's like an energy. If you ever get on a horse, you know that horse has more energy? They know how to rein it in, and they know how to use it. Ephesians 4.26, Paul writes, in your anger, don't sin, which is a really big clue, and this is where I, there's so many ways we could take this, but I just want you to hear this again. In your anger, don't sin. So the idea is that anger is something you can experience. It's not evil. It's not wrong. Paul's actually quoting Psalm 4, where David says the same thing. It is something, it's an, it's an emotion that we have. And in that emotion, he says, when that arises, then don't go to the next step. And what is sin? Sin is a self-centered, a selfish response that says, I'm going to be in control. I need to be in control. I am, this is about me. It is pride. It is a break of relationship with God. He says, don't let your anger move you to the place where you use this energy in such a way that it harms and hurts someone else because you're going to get what you want. And understand what that is. In fact, this word tells us very clearly that we have a choice to handle it wisely or foolishly or actually in an evil manner. And the truth is that with God's help through his Holy Spirit, you can learn to control and manage this energy. You can become wise. Your character and reactions can change over time when you develop awareness, counsel, and what I call intentional work. Are you willing to really seek to understand what's going on? Now, I've got to share with you, there is not this kind of often immediate fix because some of these things are choices that we've made again and again when we've been maybe young or in situations where we felt threatened. And at that time, that anger may have helped in that situation. What you find is the very thing that might have given some freedom, now you find this very same response is like a prison that, that begins to harm you and harm others. Does it make sense? 
And so what, what the word of God, as you see it, is, is Jesus. What's interesting, Jesus actually goes and physically heals people of illness. But you, what you don't see is character reform taking place right away. He, he actually gives grace to a woman caught in adultery, but when she leaves, he says, but go and sin no more. Now begin to find your life in, in, in not the arms of another person, but in God himself. Allow the very character of your heart to begin formed like it should be God intended to be like Jesus, who we see lived with this character before God. Now, so when, when you see that kind of thing going on, what you find out when you begin to understand the wise person, when it comes to this whole process Character formation, I just want to share with you, takes time. It takes commitment. It takes intention to truly be wise. God can do it. I'm not saying God can't do it because God has done it, I'm sure, in situations. Because God's God, right? He can do whatever he wants. But most often what you see is God says, as you open yourself up to the Spirit of God and you desire to become like Jesus, you want intimacy and relationships. You want to experience what it means to live this kingdom life that Jesus expressed for us. Over time, if you begin to say, Spirit of God, will you begin to help me understand this? I'm going to be a student of it. I'm going to understand this. And he then begins to work in your heart, but you have to be to this place where you're open to do it. So the first thing I want to ask you to do is to consider is this. What kind of manager are you? Is there an area in your life where anger has become acceptable? And do you even know how it may spill out in your life? Now, this is the question that we're going to look at now for the rest of this time, and that is, would you like to be a better manager of that energy? What I love about the Bible is, you know, people go, it's not an answer book. No, it's not like you can go and, and it's got like, here's a question and all the But if you read the Word of God, you will find the truth of God in it for anything in your life. It really, it's, it's that. And so what's really interesting is, is sometimes, though, you've got to read it in different ways. In stories, you see it come out. But in this one, is really interesting because when you go to another wisdom book called Psalm, Psalm chapter 4, you read in Psalm chapter 4 this life of David. And the Psalms are basically emotional reactions, at least the number of them are, of David's life. And in Psalm chapter 4, you find a time where David gives some kind of understanding of the very thing that he was dealing with. He was dealing with anger. And so when you read Psalm 4, it says, Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O Lord? Will you turn my glory and share? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. So he's got this, sets it up, and he's calling out to God, and then he makes this statement. In your anger, do not sin. I, I have to believe that for many years of David's life, he was a fighter, and it was part of what he learned early on was how to protect himself when he was threatened, and then how to do that for others as well. And he comes to this point, and we read in Psalm 4, and he gives us kind of a brief outline of how to manage your anger. And, and the first thing you see in these verses, specifically these first um, three verses, is what you have to do is just you have to admit you have an anger problem in that area of your life. Or maybe it, it drives all your life. 
It is the first thing that, that you, the step to controlling your anger, the first step is to say, I'm going to get real about what's going on, and I'm going to, I'm going to seek the truth, and I'm going to come before God, and I'm going to say, God, I admit this. Now, it sounds a little bit like AA, doesn't it? Because AA is built on godly principles. The addiction that you see in alcohol and other things is built on this fact that somehow something has a power over you that you don't have the ability to control. You need a greater power than, than you. Well, the Word of God just makes it very clear that greater power is Jesus through His Holy Spirit. And He basically says, in an area of your life, if you come to a place where you go, you know, this is messing my life up. I'm powerless. I just don't have the ability in my own flesh to handle this. I need you, God. I not only need your power, I need your wisdom, I need your revelation. I need for you to begin to work into my heart, which I have to share with you, folks. And I say this because this is stuff that I've studied because I want to grow in this. I have been seeking to understand, God, how do you not become a reactive person? Because we're all reactive, whether you like to hear that or not. But how do you, it starts with admitting the fact that in, this, in an area of your life, you've got to go, God, I need you. So I just want to make an invitation to you. If you know, as I'm talking right now, this is true of your life in a certain area. I just want you to stop. And um, I'm going to ask us all just to bow our head. I don't do this often, but I feel compelled to do this right now. If in your life, in a certain area, and you know this is messing up a relationship, it's messing up things at work, it's messing up your own body because you're internalizing it and that creates illness... Just before God, just say, God, it's a simple prayer. Jesus, help me. I um, recognize that um, this is not pleasing to you. I recognize that it's hurting me and others. I recognize it hurts you. In all humility, I invite you, Jesus, to come into my life experience here. And I, I ask that you would release your spirit in this area of my life. Jesus, I pray right now as this is going on, I know there's some people responding to you. As they call to your Holy Spirit, I pray you would release your Holy Spirit and that you would place not only your Holy Spirit, but you would place within them a will, an intention to walk in it. So one of the things that I think is important for us to realize when we talk about this whole area of our, our anger and the addiction to it is the steps that I'm going to share with you here. Anger is this. First, admit that anger problem. Secondly, is this. It's the word N, so I'm going to go through it. A-N-G-E-R, give you that. Is the word I say, no reaction. What you need to do is say, God, I need to learn not to react. Now you're going, how do I do that when my, this brain is set off and I don't have... What you have to do is you have to do the next step. Often, if you read what he says here, he says very clearly, he says, don't react. He, he basically says, um, in your anger, don't sin. So don't, don't immediately go to the reaction that's coming up. Because what will happen in your, in your mind is that your frontal cortex will give you justification for why you should. 
And what you're doing is you're often you're, you're, you're reacting to something that has, been, that has been hurt earlier, and it's like getting bruised. And God wants to go, you know what? Um, what I want to teach you is what needs to be healed under that, and I'm going to teach you over time how not to react. So what you do is you, in your heart, you say, okay, I admit this. I, I, no reaction, anger. I'm, I'm going I'm to learn over time not to react. You can't do it right away because you need the next steps. Anger, gee, you need to get away. That's kind of what he says. I get away in my bed. He's not going there to go to bed to go to sleep. He's getting in his bed in one sense to say, I'm going to be in this place where I'm going to quiet my mind so that, you know, you know when people say count to 10 when you're angry? That's, there's, a, there's a scientific reason for that. What happens when you get away and you get space between yourself and you take some time, what happens is that initial flush of energy that comes up has time to go down. And now instead of rationally trying to reason why you should feel this way, you now move away and you get to the heart of it and your brain can work in a way and go, you know what, that was silly or that was wrong. And, and so you, you, you admit you're wrong, no reaction, you get away, which means you get space, you get time, you do what you need to do. And then, and then you look at this, this, the next thing that he calls to uh, um, us to do here, and that is to examine your actions. Search your hearts and be silent. If you really want to break this cycle, it takes everything within you. It takes you to be a responsible follower of Jesus Christ. We don't like to hear the word responsibility and the fact that there are things we need to do, but this is what the word of God says. And he says what you do then in that point is you begin to examine. You search your heart while you're on your bed, while you've gotten away. You begin to examine. You say, God, what's going on here? Help me break down these steps because you know what? Anger feels so automatic. And the reason it is is because it's learned choices that you do so quickly. You, have you ever driven someplace and, and when you get there you realize you really hardly even thought and you got there? It's because they're just learned automatic responses. And what you need to do is become conscious of those things because the primary emotion that comes up is not anger, although you think it is. It's fear. You are threatened at some level, some emotional way, whether it was in the past or not. And when that comes up and that fear comes up, your next response that you learn so quickly is to protect. And if you have that issue, God is saying, I, through the Holy Spirit, want to break that chain. And if you ask God to do it through the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to begin to work on it. I encourage you. I'd love to talk to you. And we have a counseling ministry here. I've been telling Beth as we've been doing this, and she's just overloaded. But you know what? Seriously, I am grateful that people are getting real with these things because they are destroyers. And the last thing I want you to do is to recognize that when you can get to that place where you start to understand that you have this, that you admit this problem and you, you know you need God's power in this and you admit this and then you say, I'm going to learn how not to react. I'm going to learn how to no longer react in that. And then you move to that place where you get away in that process and you begin to kind of pull yourself from it so the emotional energy goes down. Then you move to that place where you examine it so that when that come into that place over time as you've studied it, you'll begin to be aware of it so that you can begin to make choices. And it takes time. And then the last is you redirect that energy. That anger, you redirect energy. Because it really is good energy. It's energy that God uses for good. In fact, David says this, in your anger do not sin, search your hearts. And listen to this, offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Have you ever wondered what David means by offering right sacrifices? That's kind of a weird thing. He's talking about anger. Well, what do you mean offer right sacrifices? What's that about? 
I think that's exactly what he's saying when he says when this energy comes up and you have this energy, offering right sacrifices is taking this energy in a constructive way rather than destructive way. Rather than protecting yourself. And now there are times when anger comes up that you need to protect yourself if you're in a place where you're physically going to be harmed, right? I mean, you're just wired that way. I was in a parking lot and I was walking along and there was an SUV and I went by it and all of a sudden this dog just jumped up in the back and hit the window. And in my, you know what my reaction was? Fear, anger, like that. I actually wanted to punch the window. Like, how stupid is that? But that's what anger does. And so there's a place where God uses that, obviously. But what happens is we have learned out of our sin and our fear to, 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 to um, as we're threatened, we use that in ways that are harmful. And we have a choice to offer a sacrifice to God with this energy or not. And so what does that look like? Let me just give you a story and we'll close. Some of you are aware of this, but um, you ever think of that, that movement called MAD? Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You know, the story of that is really about a woman who took incredible pain and her anger and used it in a very constructive, creative way. Cindy Leitner was filled with anger and rage. She had all kinds of thoughts of revenge as a parent. She was doing the destructively wicked thing in her mind until she was convicted because she had lost her child to a drunk driver, and she had all the thoughts going through her mind of this one that she loved, that she would miss all the special moments in her life and all the pain. And then at a certain point, God came in, maybe like to you right now, and said, hey, you know, you got to admit what's going on here. This isn't good. This isn't right. What you want to do isn't what is constructive. And she began to pray about it and began to understand it. And she processed her anger energy from this vengeful, violent weapon to what was a tool of good for other people. And with that very energy, she got mad. That's why she named it Mad. Because she took this energy and said, God, I'm going to do what I can do to protect other parents and other children from ever having to experience this again. So I just want to tell you, the anger isn't a bad thing. It's energy. It's bad. When we don't understand it and we begin to protect ourselves in selfish, sinful ways, and God says, you know what? You will all, all of us, stand before God and give an answer in a sense of how we've managed this. And if it's something that's become acceptable in your life, I just pray through this message, you'll cock away and go, you'll know I have a responsibility before God with this energy to use it wisely. Let's stand together. Father, as we, as we uh, move into this time and just respond here in worship, I pray that you would continue to move and work in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.